0: Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, October 25, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're talking with the Alliance Party National Chair, Jim Rex, and the Alliance Party Vice Chair, Michelle Griffith. As we close in on the all-important election of 2020, it's important that we get an update from the top of the party and look ahead, beyond the election, toward what we hope is a bright future for all of America. Jim Rex has appeared many times in this podcast and is a welcome voice of reason in our current political tempest. He is a former educator, having worked as a high school English teacher and a football coach. He holds a Ph.D. in Curriculum and Instruction from the University of Toledo. In 2006, he ran as a Democrat and won the election to become the state superintendent of education in South Carolina. He went on to become a co-founder and party chair of the American Party of South Carolina before becoming a part of the Alliance Party. Michelle Griffith is a strategic partner in Clearview Communications, a communications agency with a worldwide clientele. She is an accomplished senior media trainer, crisis communication advisor, and keynote speaker. She was previously a director with the American Moderates Party. Jim and Michelle, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening.
1: Thank you, Dan. We're we're happy to be here.
0: Thanks, Dan. And Jim, I should say, welcome back to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have your soothing voice of reason gracing the digital airwaves.
2: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that line for my wife and my grandkids. Soothing <laughs> voice of reason. Thank
0: uh, you. Well, that's that's something I wish I had. Um. So anyways, let's get right into it. Uh, We have an election barely a week away, and I think it's no exaggeration to say that this is perhaps the most consequential election in a generation. The struggle is monumental. We are witnessing the culmination of a duopolistic war that some people, uh, including myself, are afraid it could spill into the streets as a real war. The duopoly, that is the Democrats and Republicans, have so successfully divided this nation into polar opposites that it seems that no matter who wins at the top of the ticket, extreme angst will erupt in its wake. And yet here we are, the Alliance Party, much like other third parties, including the Green Party, the Libertarians, and several others, trying to offer a healthy alternative, but it seems we're just stepping into the middle of a boxing match between Floyd Mayweather and Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, you know, basically, we're not likely to stop the fight and we're more likely to get hurt. So so here's the big open-ended question. How is the Alliance Party making a difference in this election?
2: Well, in many ways, Dan, um, this is the Alliance Party's uh, coming out party. This is our first inaugural election. Um, this is our inaugural election, I guess I should say, not first. That's That's repetitive. Um, we're less than two years old. We filed with the FEC back in January of uh, 2019. So what what we're gaining from being in this uh, fight, to use your boxing metaphor, mm-hmm. is uh, we're establishing our name, our brand, on a much wider basis than we had previously. Uh, we're getting ba- ballot visibility where our presidential candidate is on the ballot in 15 states and uh, we have uh, state-sanctioned uh, uh, him as a write-in candidate in another dozen states. So, um, lots of voters will see the Alliance Party and our presidential candidates across the United States for the first time uh, in this election. And um, you know, we we're trying to make it uh, clear, and hopefully through our candidates, that messaging will start to resonate that we're not just another third party. Uh, You know, we've said from the very beginning that um, the danger that is being posed by the country that you referenced in your introduction, by the duopoly, uh, is not going to be met successfully by just having another tribe, another political party. Mm -hmm. God knows we don't need more imitations of what we already have. And so many third parties, some of which you just mentioned, are really just imitations of the two large parties They're just uh, not as well-funded, not as well-organized, but they're essentially the same thing. Their politicians sound the same way. And that is not our our goal. Our goal is to present a different approach to politics. So um, we're making making real progress, I think, for a party that's less than two years old. We have a lot more work to do, but uh, I think we're on the way.
1: And I I would add to that, Dan, that uh, to Jim's comments, by the very nature of how we're structured, we're walking the talk for what America needs and what it should be. And that is um, just by the virtual name, the Alliance Party, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: our growth has come mostly from forming alliances around the country and having people enter the conversation and join forces and bring the issues and how they're represented back to the voters. It's with the duopoly, it's lost. It's all about the national agenda keeping Americans confused and in chaos so they can maintain power instead of actually representing the American voters and bringing the stability back to America.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, how does that, uh, Jim, you mentioned how the Alliance Party is different, and I think, Michelle, you expanded on that a bit. Um, I'd like to go into that in a a little bit more detail. There's a lot of issues that have been, on the forefront lately, the, the what I call polarizing issues, you know, the gun rights, um, flag burning, abortion, you go down the line right? and and these are all polarizing issues. So it, doesn't the alliance party do, do they have to play that game or what, what wouldn't they get caught in that game? Like somebody would ask them, okay, where do you guys stand on uh, you know gun rights or something like that? Don't we have to come up with some sort of a unified message out
2: there? Well, that's, that's really where we are different. Um, as, as Michelle said, we're, we're trying to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. You know, words are cheap, and they're especially cheap in politics. Mm-hmm. And you can look at any poll of American voters and ask them what they think of uh, politics in America or politicians in America or political parties in America, and you'll see that it has very low approval ratings. For the most part... Um, they don't trust our parties. They don't trust our politicians. They, they believe they all lie to some extent. And um, so one of our challenges is that we have to differentiate ourselves from what people have understandably uh, come to believe is um, inevitable about how America presents politics and how politicians uh, approach voters. Mm-hmm. As, as you know, Dan, and as your listeners hopefully know if they've been listening to this broadcast, this podcast, um, we focus on the behavior of our candidates. Uh, they have to, for example, agree to term limits, a very specific definition of term limits, no more than a total of 12 years if they're running for a legislative office of any kind at the state and or the federal level. Uh, So we're the first party in in the history of America that has required term limits, explicated what we mean by that, uh, gotten candidate formal agreements, which they have to do before we will nominate them, to abide by that. And then we also have a strategy if and when the day comes, 12 years from now, for example, where if we have someone who doesn't abide by that 12-year maximum, that we will... Uh, run against them and defeat them if they choose to leave the party and try to run again. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So term limits is a big deal with us. We think we need public servants, not career politicians. The other good example, I think, of why we walk the walk, don't just talk it, is that we require a level of transparency that no political party in the history of America has ever required. And here again, if they're running for a legislative office, meaning they want to be a lawmaker, at the state level or at the federal level, they have to put up on their campaign website uh, their most current income tax returns from the three previous years. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of our candidates have done that also through their agreement uh, prior to their nomination. And then we have other important things like civility and truthfulness and problem solving. And those things are a bit harder to um, quantify, but of course they're also very important. So when we say we're, we're representing a different approach to politics, those are clear examples of what we mean. And we realize that ultimately all political parties are judged not by what they say, not by what their uh, campaign platforms profess, but what by what their candidates do and when elected to office, what their elected representatives accomplish. That's the proof of the pudding. And that's the kind of party that we choose to be because we think that's what America needs.
1: Dan, if you you think about it and think about what Jim's saying about fiscal transparency, no dark money, think about how much time on these debates was spent on accusations about financial records. And nothing came of it. It just kept America distracted and increased their angst this isn't what america wants it's not what we were built on and it's not what makes us strong so we need to get back to the things that do make us strong and and the american values of which the country was built on this divisiveness doesn't serve anyone except the democrats and republicans
0: right how do you stop how do you stop dark money though because uh, there should really be no from what i understand of the law there should be no relationship direct relationship anyways between the candidate and the people who are running commercials as part of a PAC associated you know that have an interest in the in the candidate running um i mean it, it, i i guess you know currently with the democrats and republicans you know that there's supposed to not be any coordination between the campaign and and, and the PACs but um there probably is right so but how do we prevent that? How would we? How would the Alliance Party prevent something like that happening?
2: Well, first, first of all, Dan, you're right. It's a farce what you just described. Everybody knows in America that that there is not that distance or that separation in terms of communication and coordination between these special interest packs and others that are dumping hundreds of millions of dollars, in all likelihood, mm-hmm. into our campaigns. Um, You know, most of us think that down the road at some point, we're going to have to have some type of public financing of our campaigns, and uh, we're going to have to have a very strict rule that all money must be um, publicly disclosed, wherever, if it does come from somewhere else in the interim between now and full public financing of campaigns, that money has to be fully publicly disclosed disclosed as to where it comes from Mm -hmm. and what the interests are that are being represented by that money. The reality is that's not going to happen until we start to elect a different type of person to elected office, both at the state level and at the uh, congressional and Senate level. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we can talk about getting uh, dirty money out of politics, but until we get dirty politicians out of politics, it's not going to happen. Yeah.
0: Well, that does bring up a different question though. It, um, I'm sort of, uh, sorry about digressing here a bit, but you know, we're talking about money and campaigns. It's not cheap to run for office. Um, it just takes a lot of money and you don't necessarily have to have more money than your opponent to outdo your opponent, but you still need uh, quite a bit of financing. So, um, that, to me, has always been a sort of a quandary. I've never, never been able to quite figure out how that works. How do you get the money, unless you're from individual donations, That and I know a lot of politicians rely on the individual donations, but when the big money comes in, um, how do we stop it, or do we stop it, or how, do we, you know, how, how would the Alliance Party handle this financial question? I guess that's what I'm getting at.
2: Well, right now it's like an arms race. And it, it, it's not only expensive, but every election cycle it gets more expensive mm-hmm. because the the numbers get more and more outrageous. And, uh, you know, there's no end in sight. I'm in a state where uh, we have a, a pretty hotly contested U.S. Senate race between Lindsey Graham and, and Jamie Harrison. Both of them have set new records, yeah. fundraising records for a United States Senate race. Lindsey Graham for a Republican senatorial race and Jamie Harrison for any senatorial race in the history of the country. So, you know, we're going to be talking about billion-dollar races mm-hmm. in the near future. So it it's like an arm race. No matter how big the other country's bomb or missile or aircraft is, you have to build one that's bigger and more expensive. Yeah. Uh, there's no end in sight, and I don't think there's any regulations that can stop it other than doing away with private financing of campaigns at some point. But as I said, um, we're going to have to get some different people elected. And you're right, getting those different people elected under this money storm is going to be a tremendous challenge. We don't have to have dollar for dollar. You said that, and I I agree with you. But we have to have enough money to be competitive. And what we would prefer as a, as a, uh, a new approach to politics is to have grassroots donor support. We'd like to have, you know, hundreds of millions of people at some point. Uh, giving us $10, 15 $20, uh, so that we're not representing a specific limited group of special interests, but we're trying to represent the interest of the general public and the common good for the country. Um, short of public financing, that would probably be the best scenario.
0: Okay. Fair enough. That sounds good. The, um, and I'd like to return right now to get back to some of the internal uh, things going on within the Alliance Party, specifically for campaigns. Uh, We have uh, at the top of our ticket is presidential and vice presidential candidates, um, Rocky De La Fuente being president and Darcy Richardson running for vice president. Uh, Can you give us an update on what's going on with their campaigns at this point?
2: Yeah. Michelle, why don't you start out with that? Because you've been you've been involved uh, pretty deeply in their campaigns.
1: So uh, like everything else we do, we've taken somewhat of a strategic approach. And uh, last count, are we on 15 ballots, 15 states? And then is it 10 more write-ins? I've forgotten. That, we what have a dozen guy. more
2: write-ins. So all, all together on paper... And, and Michelle, is, it is hard to keep up with this because it's been it's been changing almost daily. Mm-hmm. But um, at the last count, which is the final count now that we're so close to the campaign on paper, Rocky De La Fuente and Darcy Richardson theoretically could acquire two hundred and ninety nine electoral votes. Uh, of course, they need two seventy to win. So theoretically, they are in the race and they are viable as candidates.
1: We have worked, uh, again, very strategically with news release announcements, and it's really creating an awareness. The American public has forgotten that they actually have a choice, that the whole third-party stigma has been built systematically by the duopoly so that Americans don't believe they have a third option. And yet, if you look around at other countries with less freedoms, those people have more options to, to vote for leaders than we have here in America, yeah, which seems crazy. We have Baskin Robbins, 51 flavors of ice cream, but we only have two choices, red or blue.
0: Yeah, and we don't like either flavor too, to follow through with that analogy.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, well, I know, because um, we've gotten feedback where people have voted for our candidates, knowing that it's a long shot that they will win in some of some of the states where they are, but they've cast their vote as a statement that they've had enough yeah. of the duopoly. And, and if you listen to the interviews and talk to people, they have, they're looking for another option. They're exhausted with the lack of leadership, the chaos, and the fighting. Yeah.
0: Well, um, so I have a, kind of a two-part question because it builds on, on both these answers. Um, with uh, Rocky De La Fuente and uh, Darcy Richardson uh, being running for president, vice president, we must be getting some traction, uh, some name recognition out there. Is is Are you seeing that? Uh, any evidence of that, Michelle?
1: Actually, we are. Uh, I would say, yeah, daily. Now, I, I haven't tallied it up yet for a media report, but daily there is... Uh, media placement with their names, depending on the races. Uh, Maine is a big state for us and a big opportunity. Um, And so we've put a lot of time and attention into Maine. Mm -hmm. And while we don't expect um, a presidential win this year, it's something that has to be done because it's what Americans are accustomed to. How can you have a party and not have a presidential candidate when in fact the real movement takes place in the other offices, but it's, we, we were fortunate to have this opportunity and it's um, certainly helped us increase our visibility and awareness and let the American public know that there are options and they should have those options. They should have those choices.
2: You know, Dan, um, Michelle has me plugged into something called Google search that uh, pops up on my um, computer daily. Anytime Rocky de la Fuente, or uh, Darcy Richardson's name is mentioned in any media outlet around the country. And it lights up every day, multiple times, especially these last few weeks. So yeah, it, it has definitely given us um, party identity and even ballot visibility because of the states where they are, uh, they're both on the ballot. And, um, you know, Michelle mentioned Maine. One of the reasons we have focused on that state Is that we have a historic opportunity in Maine to win an electoral vote Mm -hmm. that has never happened in the history of the country. There's never been a presidential candidate other than a Republican or a Democrat who's ever won electoral votes. Um, So, you know, even Ross Perot, who, you know, got in the high teens and percentage of uh, votes in America, never won a single electoral vote. The reason Maine is an opportunity for us and our, our candidate is twofold. Maine is one of the two states that awards electoral uh, college votes by congressional district. It's not just Mm -hmm. winner-take-all at the state level. And secondly, uh, and maybe even more importantly, Maine this year is the only state in America that is using ranked choice voting for its presidential election, which means that if Rocky is the second choice or third choice of lots of voters and none of the candidates on the ballot get 50% or more, they start counting those second and third place uh, voting votes mm-hmm. and that he could potentially win one of those congressional districts. Sure. So that's been a big deal. He's gotten a lot of visibility in Maine and even around the country because of that race. We also, the Alliance party was part of a uh, lawsuit. Um, we were fighting the, the GOP in Maine that was trying to stop ring choice voting and we became a friend of the court with the state Supreme Court. And that was eventually ruled in our favor, our favor meaning maintaining ranked choice voting. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of visibility for lots of reasons. Sometimes not as positive as
1: we'd like, but we're being noticed. Yeah. And to Jim, Jim's point in Maine, I, I'd like to add, Mainers have voted not once, but twice for ranked choice voting. Yeah. And the duopoly has filed lawsuits to, to unravel that, what they've actually, what the voters have actually asked for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that same thing has actually happened here in Missouri, too. There's this uh, um, effort to pass what they call Clean Missouri, which actually passed in 2018, and it was supposed to allow uh, for a neutral demographer to draw the congressional district lines, among other things, and um, the legislature didn't like it. It's a supermajority Republican legislature. They didn't like it. So they're putting it back on the ballot again uh, this November. So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, what they call clean Missouri reloaded, basically. And it's probably mm-hmm. going to get, uh, you know, they're going to get knocked down again. So clean Missouri looks like it's going to take again. But yeah, it's amazing how when you pass a, a, a referendum, or a law that that is in favor of, that does a favor for the people, but doesn't do a favor for the people that are in control, um, they can challenge it and they often do. And they put it back on the, on the, on the ballot again. It's amazing.
1: It's beyond amazing. It's, it's part of what, it's actually criminal and it's, it's complete negligence on the oath that an elected official takes to represent the people. Not special interests, not their own interests, but the people. And instead, this has become a money game, yeah. and that deters a lot of good people who would be good public servants and represent their, their constituents from even attempting to run, run office, because it, it's highly intimidating. Yeah. When you're talking about hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, and it just becomes an ad war.
0: Very good. Uh, very good intentions often get lost in the uh, in the money grab and in, in the power grab there. So I I get that. So um, let's talk a little bit of down ballot now that we're talking about uh, local I- or more statewide uh, um, issues. Um, down ballot this season, South Carolina is showing up pretty strong in, within the Alliance Party. That is, there are, uh, I believe on the last time I checked on the Alliance Party website, there are seven. Uh, Candidates listed on the website. Um, And it looks like South Carolina makes up five of them. So um, perhaps, Jim, this is a better question for you, being a resident of South Carolina. Can you tell us how those uh, campaigns are progressing at this point?
2: Well, I think they're going well. Um, You know, one of the reasons South Carolina has five of the seven is that South Carolina was formerly the American Party and, um, you know, it was formed by um, myself as former Democrat an elected office and a former Republican who had ran for governor. So we had high visibility when we started in 2014, our first year we had candidates and that was in 2014. We had over 153,000 South Carolina votes for our candidates. So we got off to a a fast start, if you will, Mm -hmm. as a third party, especially using third party examples. Um, because we had a lot of visibility, a lot of earned media, people loved the idea, even back in 2014, of having a new choice, a different approach. So um, South Carolina is one of our protocol states in uh, in the Alliance Party, along with Minnesota, because the the Independence Party of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura's old party,
1: mm-hmm. has
2: also had a, a long record in uh, in politics in that state, has a well-established brand. And then we have uh, independent party in Connecticut also, which merged with us, which has like 150 ballot lines in the state of Connecticut. So we have a lot of um, experience in those three states. In South Carolina, our candidates, uh, our five are running for the South Carolina State Senate and for the South Carolina State House. Um, Of the five, uh, three are women. One is an African-American. We have an independent filmmaker, uh, Brad Jane, who is running a very strong race in Charleston against a uh, Republican incumbent for the state house. Uh, I think he has a real shot at winning. So, um, you know, they've got all the same hurdles and obstacles that all third party candidates have, but um, they have some traction and uh, we might actually see one or two of them pull off a victory. If they do, it'll be earth shaking, not only in South Carolina, but around the country.
0: Yeah.
1: Indeed. And Dan, uh, I know you, you have interviewed people from and associated with the party regularly. This brings up a good point that Jim mentioned on a protocol state, which is part of our growth, is that we have a state like South Carolina, where they have experience and expertise and a solid structure to build on and uh, Connecticut and Minnesota. And so those states are all helping the other states organize and bringing that experience and support so while publicly it looks may look like we don't have that much of a presence we have a greater presence than what we're showing and then you'll see that accelerate as the protocol states expand
0: okay yeah, that we um, yeah we have had uh, Brad Jane on the podcast here. Um, Sarah Work, we've had her twice in the podcast. Uh, she's running, I believe, for state senator in South Carolina, and um, yeah. Then of course we had Larry Stanley, who's not in South Carolina; he's in the state of Washington. So we do get them on online here. One of the things you did you, you brought up too is it reminded me of a previous podcast where. Uh, states help out each other or districts help out each other. We interviewed a few weeks ago uh, a mm-hmm. person from Sister District. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're mainly focused on helping Democrats at this point, but their whole theory is to take people that are from the states that are doing well and uh, re-vector them to uh, states where they're needed. So you can you can move resources around the country in a sense, in, in a virtual sense, that is. So you can make phone calls, um, you know, run virtual town halls and things like that, uh, you know, so people from South Carolina that, that are safe in their districts. And this is not to say that we're safe in our districts at this point, but the whole idea is that we help each other out, right, at, at, the, uh, at the state level. So, um, I don't know, it just, it's, it's an interesting concept, and, and uh, I think it's something that uh, as we build up strength in South Carolina, maybe that expertise can bleed over into some of the other states that need help.
2: Well, that's part, as Michelle just said, Dan, that is, that is a big part of our plan and our structure is to take the states that have the kind of experience and expertise you just referenced and uh, ask them to have a buddy system, if you will, with other states that are just getting started. You know, when you look at the growth of this party, which has been a remarkable, I mean, we're a decade or more ahead of the growth, um, the growth rate of the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, you know. After less than two years, we have many more states, uh, and we're on the ballot and organized in many more states than either of those two parties were at this point in their in their evolution. So we're, we've exceeded um, expectations from the very beginning. But um, but we have a lot more work to do, and um, we've grown. Let me just make everybody aware of this. When you think of our growth, and one of the reasons we're unique. We've grown organically, in other words, we've grown from scratch in a number of these states where we've gotten volunteers and leaders who have put together leadership teams and those have become affiliates. In addition to organically, we've grown through mergers, as Michelle said, and if you said the Modern Whigs Party, the um, American Moderate, the American Party in South Carolina, the Independence Party, We're talking with the Reform Party in in Florida about a merger. We've already agreed to merge with the American Delta Party in Delaware. And we're talking with two or three other parties about a formal merger. So through mergers and organic um, grassroots development, we've gotten to the point where we feel comfortable that in 2021 we'll have half of the states organized under the Alliance Party. The other thing we've done this year, because we had presidential candidates, is we have done one-time uh, cooperative agreements with third other third parties that had ballot access in states that are very difficult and expensive to get ballot access in. Mm-hmm. So Rocky De La Fuente is on the ballot in California and in Florida and in Michigan because we worked out an agreement for them to be on the ballot Mm-hmm. With the Reform Party, the Natural Law Party, and the American Independent Party. So, those are the three approaches that we have used. And I think it's safe to say that no brand new third party in America has ever used that combination to grow a party as rapidly as we have grown.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. And now you started talking about, uh now that you started talking about 2021, I'm thinking 2022 myself. Um, because now that we're growing, um, let's look into the future. And uh, I think we can safely anticipate that the 2022 campaigns will start in earnest on November 4 of this year, uh, if things go the way they've been going for a long time. Um, How are we positioned at this point? Uh, Are we putting any plans in place right now to approach 2022? I guess this is kind of a Jim question as well.
2: Well, I'll start it out. I knowing Michelle, she'll have some, some thoughts on this too. Um, yeah. One of the things that we've already begun to put together uh, are those items that we have learned from, you know, like any new movement or new develop or new um, initiative, uh, we've made some mistakes. We've also done some things for the first time that we would do differently if we were to do them again. So Project number one, goal number one, is to look at what's happened in this uh, inaugural election and what we've learned from it, what we would do differently. But after we've done that and gone through that exercise, which is an important one, um, we're going to have to get down to the nitty gritty, which is the grunt work of building a national system. And it starts at the local level. We've got to have these, these robust, sustainable organizations at the state level, and even at the precinct level in our states so that we can field viable, effective candidates in 2022 and beyond. So that that's where a lot of our work is going to be focused over the next year
1: mm-hmm.
2: to get prepared for the 2022 and ultimately for the 2024. I wish there were an easier, less expensive, uh, bone-tiring <laughs> mm-hmm. way, but that's the only way. You've got to have a system that supports an organization that supports your candidates.
1: To Jim's point, I would like to add to that. One of the things, one of the many things that makes us different is our whole approach is not just political. Because if it were, then, then we'd just be doing the same thing that all the other parties are doing, and we wouldn't have the growth, the expansion, or the visibility and attention that we currently have. And part of that is uh, because of the diversity of the people that come together. We have people like Jim and others who not only have um, experience outside of politics, but they've been on the inside and they know what it takes. And they also know the inner workings Mm -hmm. of, of how the existing establishment works and how they maintain power we can turn around that and bring, take that information and bring it to a group of people who do not have that background, who might have business backgrounds and other diverse backgrounds, and look at how we change um, the playing field and change the rules so that we can compete effectively against them and grow and get the message to the American public and give the American voters some actual real content to make a decision on not the name calling and the blame game that goes on during these debates that really doesn't give anyone any information any substantive mm-hmm. material to make a decision right.
0: well that that I got a question about that because um, um I guess our what you're talking about here is it is taking a sort of a bottom up approach um and that that's, uh, you know, politics, I understand, is, is sort of the long game. And as such, um, uh, let's just, uh, well, a, a big question here is how do we build and maintain interest as we progress in this next election? Let's, uh, let me preface this first by saying, uh, let's just say, for example, uh, Biden wins this particular election at the top of the ticket. And so most people may think that, you know, the nightmare of the extremist threat is over. Um, Yet, you know, the underlying motivations that that brought us to this highly polarized environment will keep going. Uh, You know, the people behind the efforts to polarize this nation have been working for decades and they're not going to give up after this election, even if Biden wins. So um, and they're working on both sides of the aisle, by the way. So and I highly suspect that they have contingency plans in place to optimize polarization, continue optimizing polarization so as to gain an advantage for their own organization. And so, this not only is a question for uh, the Alliance Party, but for all party, all third parties. Um, how do we keep the flame burning? How do we continue to convince the American public after this election that that this threat of extreme extremism through polarization is still very real, still very much alive, and still needs a lot of uh, A lot of
1: attention. So Trump is simply a symptom. And actually, uh, if if Biden wins, I actually see that uh, working in our favor, Mm -hmm. uh, simply because the noise is going to quiet down a bit in the chaos. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And that will certainly help us get our message out um, to the audiences right now. If Trump isn't getting attention, then he's creating some way to get attention. And so it's it's almost like having um, alarms going off 24-7, and right. they're so loud. People can't hear anything else. And the fear factor. Uh, Biden's, if he wins, will want to calm that, and his approach is unity, and to calm that noise. And as he does that, that will allow our message um It'll give our message more more room to get out there and people to be able to hear it resonate and, and begin to internalize it and think about that they do have power. Their vote does matter. And here are the steps that they can take to begin to hold their elected officials accountable and to demand change. Now, now don't get me wrong. It's still the duopoly. Mm-hmm. Biden's just a different face on that whole machine. And that's why we talk about having to change um, change the rules and change the playing field in order to have the growth that we've had and to continue to grow and ultimately make a difference. You know, we have a mantra that we say to ourselves and each
2: other within the party leadership almost daily. And it started back in Denver in 2018 when we first conceived this and that is that you know we must all of us guard against becoming that which we seek to replace that we don't we don't ever want to become just another political party that that is not what america needs that's not what america's asking for i wish i don't think there's going to be any any challenge at all in terms of keeping the fire going as you said mm-hmm. in fact i think we have a raging fire in this country right now dissatisfaction and disaffection with the political system as it exists. You know, in 2018, there was a Harris poll that showed that 66% of us said that neither party represents us. And in 2019, Harris poll again said that 75% of us believe that politicians are more interested in satisfying their party's leaders than they are in meeting the needs of their constituents. Mm -hmm. And then also in 2019, Only 25% of us in a poll, national poll, said that we trust our government, which is controlled by the two parties. Um, That isn't changing. That's getting worse every time we ask Americans about this system and whether they believe in it, whether they trust it, whether it's serving their needs. Our challenge as the Alliance Party is to give people hope that there is a different approach that can save this democracy and can address not only the division that is tearing us apart, but address the problems that are not being addressed all the way from climate change to income inequality, to um, economic uh, sustainability, education, healthcare. You know the list and most Americans know the list and they know that those problems are not being addressed. So our challenge is to look different enough, hopeful enough, effective enough that people will start voting for our candidates as a better alternative to what they presently have.
0: That's well put. I I, I think we we should probably uh, think about ending on that note because I think that's very hopeful for the future. That's actually a different answer than I expected because I thought that you know when when the when the uh, fireworks are over, everybody kind of you know folds up their lawn chairs, gets in their cars, and drive home. But I guess what you're saying is that really what's happening, or what would happen if Biden won. The noise level goes down, so people can hear the uh, the the sounds from from the reasonable, you know, third party or the alliance party here uh, to um, perhaps you know understand the situation more comprehensively and make a better choice for next time around. I like that.
1: Yeah, Dan, we're just getting warmed up.
0: <laughs> All right. Well. I like that sound. I like that a lot. Is the um, I think I asked this earlier, but I just want to make sure: Are we seeing any um, our party membership grow at all at this point? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly. I'm getting a lot of emails, unsolicited emails from people that are listening to this show and people that are interested in the Alliance Party. Um, I imagine you guys are probably getting a ton more than I am. What uh, are we getting an increase in membership at all?
2: Well, l- let me let me define membership because that's a <clears throat> that's an interesting term. You know, in some states in our country, people register by political party, mm-hmm. and in those in those states, that's often the number that people are thinking about when they say membership. Yeah. How many people have registered as affiliated with your party? In other states, the majority, I think, and South Carolina is one of those. You don't register by political party, so you don't really have a membership. Um, you know indicator mm-hmm. other than the people who vote for your candidates I mean in any given election you can tally who voted for you and assume that those people are members. but as you just said Dan, another definition which ought to be included are the people who are paying attention to you who are who are listening to your messaging, who are inquiring who are volunteering if you put all that together, all those sort of subcategories definitely we've gone from virtually zero unless in less than um, two years to certainly hundreds of thousands of people who know about the Alliance Party and who are getting our newsletter, visiting our website, either at the state level or the national level, or who are contacting us about being candidates in the future. And We already have people who are talking to us about running in 2022 and even in 2024. 20, uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's going up. I don't know how to put a number on it right now, but it's certainly increasing dramatically.
0: Yeah, I guess what so, I was thinking yeah, about. Oh, go ahead, Michelle.
1: Yeah, clearly our focus right now is this last, uh, this last stretch into the election. And then uh, post-election, we'll be gathering that kind of data uh, to see what our fol- followers and trends look like. Um, that'll be part of uh, our whole strategy going into this next round, which for us starts shortly after November 4th. Okay.
0: Yeah, I guess what I was thinking about was when I go to the website at uh, theallianceparty.com uh, and go to the contact form right there, that's what I was more or less thinking about where, you know, we get people signing up to um, to get the newsletter, signing up to say, hey, I'm interested, or maybe even signing up to volunteer or things like that. So we, I, I'm sure that uh, I guess the guys in the IT department can tell you um, you know what sort of traffic we're seeing on that on that area, so that's sort of like what I was getting at there, but it must be more interest out there. and I think Jim, what you're saying is that there's hundreds of thousands of people that are expressing interest at this point, and um, that number hopefully will continue to grow.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you know a lot some of that interest is being expressed at a state level, especially in these protocol states we talked about where there's already uh, an identity with this with this party at that state level. And in other cases it's coming to the national website.
0: Good. So uh let's wrap this up right now but do uh, you guys have any uh Jim or Michelle do you have any um final thoughts um uh, a plug for the website and so on but uh before Ladies we wrap first. this up Michelle first.
1: <laughs> Thank you Jim.
0: <laughs> Jim you're such Thank a gentleman.
1: Uh, he is. Uh, I I'm and I'll just take this moment to plug Jim. Uh, he's just a phenomenal human being and I'm really honored to have the opportunity to work with him on such an important mission. And with that, uh, if people are interested in learning more, it's theallianceparty.com. You can also find us on social media. If you have trouble finding us anywhere, you can find Jim or myself uh, on social media and online and we're happy to connect with you and answer questions and not uh, help you find your way so you can make a decision of an informed decision about who represents you going forward.
2: Hard to top that. Um, thank you, Michelle, for those kind words. The um, the only thing I would add maybe right at the end here, Dan, is go back to your, your final question about are people going to feel better if you know Joe Biden is our next president? And will that calm things down? And you heard my answer. I think the the sort of um, ingrained disenchantment and dissatisfaction will continue. It might have a short lull after this election, but it will continue unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And part of that is that we as Americans have to get much more sophisticated about what it's gonna take to maintain and protect this democracy. And it's not gonna be saved by a messiah. It's not gonna be saved by electing a certain person to a certain office. I wish that were true. I wish that I wish that was the answer. God knows that would be a lot simpler than the problems that lie ahead of us. But there were people who thought that was going to be Ronald Reagan, or they thought that was going to be Barack Obama, or they you know thought it was going to be Donald Trump. And there are now people who think it will be Joe Biden. We have a systemic problem. And I learned a long time ago that you can have good people with good intentions and good motivations. And they can go and try to solve problems. But if you're putting them up against a system that is broken, bet on the system every time because good people come and go, they get corrupted, they get exhausted, they get limited, but systems persist and persevere. And when we're talking about changing is a system that is really destroying our opportunities to have a more perfect union, to have the kind of democracy envisioned from within. And until we become aware of that and sophisticated enough as voters to understand that, we're going to keep uh, you know, throwing these Hail Mary passes, thinking that this person or that person is going to save us. Nobody's going to come to save us. We're going to have to save ourselves.
0: And that's the hard work of politics, isn't it? Um, we all have to get involved, and that's really a definition of democracy itself. The people rule, and so therefore the people must get involved. I like that. Good. Well, thank you, thank you, uh, Jim and Michelle. Uh, we've been this. We've been talking with uh, Jim Rex, the national chairperson for the Alliance Party, and Michelle Griffith, the national vice chair for the Alliance Party. Jim, Michelle, thank you very much for dropping by the Alliance Party after dark and and giving us your insight.
1: Dan, thank you so much for your time and giving us this opportunity to uh, have this discussion and be able to share it with the public.
0: And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast has a Twitter page at Alliance on Air. And if you have any suggestions for future topics or people we might want to interview in a future podcast, please drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about. And get involved, volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.